Yes, people, how are we all doing? I hope we're all doing really well. Welcome back to Process, a podcast with myself, Brendan Pearson. Yes, people, welcome back to Process. Today we are joined by a special guest, personal trainer and facility owner at Maximum Fitness, Max Roberts. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Oh, thanks for having me, Brendan. It's an absolute pleasure to be on here, mate. Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me on. No worries. I was going to say before the podcast, there was a million things we were talking about, so we'll, we thought we'd get the recording on. Jumping straight into your journey into fitness, I want to know, obviously, you're very successful to the point now where you've got your own gym, your own facility. I want to go back to the start. When did you first develop an interest in fitness, in personal training, in, in anything in general? Um. Well, I've always been into into exercise, you know. I'm really dyslexic, so reading and writing has never been a strong point for me. So I really was encouraged to channel my energy through through exercise. Um, so I've done loads of sports throughout the years, you know, from boxing, jiu-jitsu, rugby, you name it, I've done it. And I relatively, you know, I've always got to a, a good standard and whatnot. So I really excelled in sports. I knew I wanted to do something that was exercise-based. And um, my dad had a disease called multiple sclerosis, MS, so, mm-hmm. and, you know, he was severely disabled. And um, at the time, we had carers who were looking after my dad in the house. And um, I was an amateur boxer at the time. So I would always be downstairs in my cellar, punching my punch bag and, and whatnot and exercising. And, and then one, one time, one of the, uh, the carers, you know, said to me, would you, would you train me? And I was 15 at the time. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay. Because, you know, at the time, personal training wasn't really, I mean, this is like, what 11 years ago um you know it wasn't really as it wasn't anywhere near as big as it is now but the, the sound of personal trainer had a real nice ring to it I was like, wow yeah i'm a personal trainer so i started you know training um this this lady one of my dad's carers in the park and then over time the other carers started training with me to the point where carers would come into my house look after my dad and then after the shift i would train them um you know charging a five five pound an hour um, and then the money that I saved up from the carers training with me, I converted my cellar into a gym. So by the time I was like, I don't know, just before I was 16, I'd converted my cellar into a gym. I was regularly training with dad's carers and I was starting to go around the, uh, you know, the local area, offering personal training, knocking on people's doors, being like, hey, you look like you've got abs, you know, let's go and use them sort of thing. Um, like pretty much door-to-door sales to the point where, you know, I was doing like, 30 odd sessions a week and I was like 16 in me, in me grotty, grotty cellar. Um, and then I started doing boot camps and, and they became really popular. Um, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I was totally winging it. When I look back now, what I was doing, I was like, what the hell? Um, but I just loved it, man. And I loved the, uh, the feedback. I think because I was so young, people loved how, how hungry I was for it, I guess. So I think there was a lot of people coming just purely off the fact that they could see how much I was buzzing from just, you know, <laughs> through the limits and stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I started doing that and then I got a job at Virgin Active as a, I wanted a job as a fitness coach, right? Because I wasn't qualified at this point. Um, so technically what I was doing probably wasn't very legal, but um, I was at Norton College and I was studying the sports diploma. And then um, I did my level one fitness and then my level two fitness. So that meant that I could get a job in a commercial gym. Um, but Virgin Active is really hard to get a job in. 
So the, the interview process is quite, is quite challenging because they only picked certain people who were, who were right for the role. And at that time, I didn't have enough confidence in myself. I was only 16, 17, didn't have the, the self-esteem really to think that I was good enough to do it because uh, I was worried that if I didn't get the job first time, then because you don't get asked back. Um, so I decided to become a lifeguard and then work my way up from there. Um, and then eventually, you know, I got a job as a fitness coach and I just loved it. So my job was to look after the gym, was to, um, you know, do little spontaneous classes, do programs. Um, and this is really how I built a key um, fundamental of how to work with people that, you know, were just different every single day. You know, I had some great influences there, you know, um, my who became my, my personal training mentor, Chris Chapman. He coached me through some bodybuilding competitions and, uh, you know, met a guy called Martin Walker who taught me everything that I needed to know about sales. Um, you know, and that, that was kind of just priming me to when I was qualified to become a personal trainer and then um, just fell in love with it from there. Moved up to Newcastle, became a personal trainer and then just uh, just went for, went for gold, really. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize how young you were. It was 15 years old when you were kind of starting doing 30 hours a week downstairs. That's something that like a lot of people don't have. Like even for myself, I didn't really start PT till I was 22. So having that initial start at 15 years old, having that, it's almost like an advantage that you kind of didn't mean to happen in a sense. Having that kind of, that extra few years to put extra hours in that maybe other people wouldn't have obviously helped you massively. And then you obviously got influences in sales, influences in personal training, good also mentors in your life from a young age, which has obviously helped you. Is there anybody out there in terms of like, and obviously these days the social media is massive, anybody when you were younger, because I know for myself, YouTube was a big thing when I was starting, but yeah. when I, my interest in fitness probably hit me at around 17, 18, in the likes of like, I don't know if you heard Christian Guzman, Steve Cook, all them sort of people. I don't know, did you have anybody from social media or was a lot of your mentors and influences from people in real life? Um, Probably real life, I mean, I'm an only child, so I spent a lot of time on my own, um, you know, like for my, I mean, Mike Tyson was a massive inspiration for me, actually. Um, not, not in his personal life in a sense, but you know, like what well, I've always had people who I've really wanted to become probably from a young age, not having a real strong sense of who I was. And, and, and probably, you know, my dad was really disabled, bless him. And I never I cared for my dad, you know, rather than the other way around. So I never really had that male, that male role model in my life. So I was always desperate to look to find that from someone, you know. So I had lots of different idols growing up where I really imitated them because, you know, so say, for instance, Mike Tyson, um, he was a massive inspiration to me at the time because he was, you know, the youngest heavyweight champion of the world and he was hard and no one wanted to mess with him and, through a time where I felt really vulnerable that, you know, if people knew about my personal life that I would essentially be, you know, bullied. I wanted to become this real tough person so that no one ever picked on me or messed with me. And, you know, I fell in love with, with that. And then as I fell in love with that, you know, it took me down the wrong path because I started to get so um, mm -hmm. absorbing who Mike Tyson was that I was picking up some of the aggressive traits. You know, that's when I started, um, you know, looking for other sort of directions and, and people. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I, I was always very naive in the sense of I always believed what people said. So with YouTube videos, like motivational videos and stuff, everything that was said in these motivational videos, I always really believed. But I was also um, 
you know, because I was an only child and because a lot of my childhood was spent on my own, you develop a bit of a, an ego in the sense of, you know, when you're alone a lot and, you know, there's a lot of trauma going on, you like, you have to almost create this character to be tough enough to get through, if that makes sense. So, you know, all these motivational videos that I was listening to was really fueling this person who I believed I was to the point where I really, you know, just soaked up. So I wouldn't say that there was a, such a specific role model as such, but lots of information coming in, just believing that this is who I can be. And I just fell in love with the, the fantasy of becoming a person of influence, you know, because of how influenced I was by people influencing me. And, you know, I remember being so young that no one really took you seriously. You know, when you're a teenager, you've got that voice, but just because you're young, people are like, oh, shut up, you know. And I just really believed all the words that people were telling me because, you know, it was a bit of a fantasy wishing that that's what was coming from my dad. You know, like the whole Peter Parker thing, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, I, I just was so desperate to have something said to me like that to give me some some hope. But I often got it from, from YouTube, not a specific person as such, but more from like just, um, you know, motivational videos, but also a lot of my own self-talk always mm-hmm. pretended that was the hero in my own movie. And it's so weird because listened to a Joe Rogan podcast the other day and he was like, you've got to pretend you're the, the hero in your own movie. And this is something that I was doing from a young age, just, just naturally anyway, you know, always partly being a bit of a victim in the sense of like life's tough and, you know, what got me through it and almost what was a bit of a coping strategy was pretending I was a hero in my own movie, you know, like after I watched eight mile, I remember sitting on the bus all the time with my, my hood up thinking, God, my life's tough on my way to boxing, you know, like, just just being in a bit of a fantasy, really, but I guess it was a coping strategy. But the byproduct of that is it, it made me really hungry and had drive and, and just wanted to, to prove myself to the world that, you know, I wasn't this stupid kid who didn't know how to read or write, you know, that I was a person of value, but I just didn't, didn't know how to put it all together yet, you know? Uh-huh. You can tell there was a lot of things going on in your head when you were younger, like obviously you're logging on with your dad, which would be very, very tough and almost... You can see these motivational videos and all the external things were almost like, like like an escape in a sense and a fuel to something that maybe that was missing in your life. But that's obviously fueled you so much and give you so much passion and inspiration to to work hard, to go and pursue things. And when you talked about the, the eight mile thing with putting your hood up, I, I can remember doing stuff like that. Like in terms of my football, you used to like pretend that you were like a certain footballer and used to live that. But it used to kind of build you up so much and get you almost, change your your mental state so much like listen to a podcast yesterday modern wisdom if you haven't listened to it but they were talking about being able to change your your mental state just like that whether it's like pretending to be someone or whether it's the like i don't know go and do a few squats a few press-ups just to get your heart racing going from a mental state of kind of down a little bit tired to to a complete energetic like just a complete different state so finding that sort of thing you've obviously hacked it so young without actually realizing that you've hacked it and you've obviously been very mindful in terms of well, you probably haven't, you've realised now the state that you were in, but it's only took you time to actually realise where you were like, but it would, a lot of time, like it took me probably until maybe two years ago to kind of be kind of mindful of the state that I was in. But for you, you changed your mindset so young without realising that it's just give you that advantage and that push where like, I'm, you're talking about doing 30 PT sessions a week when you're 15. I'm, I'm, that's my goal now and I'm 23. So you've obviously had that advantage, but it's crazy that obviously see how your journey's progressed and then the personalities obviously and push you on through so jumping on to the next stage in your 
personal training career. Where did you go after Virgin? After was that down? Were you from down south originally? Yeah, so I'm from Sheffield originally. Um, oh right, yeah. So I was uh, so the last year living in Sheffield, I was competing as a natural bodybuilder, and I learned loads about myself there. Um, you know, because it's a real extreme sport. You know, you're pr- effectively starving yourself. And uh, once that was over. My best friend, um, James Tennant, he was living in Newcastle and he was doing, uh, he was at uni. And I always wanted to live the uni life, but just without the uni work, you know. Again, academia wasn't something that I just, just couldn't get myself into. And, um, you know, I'd done my bodybuilding competition. My, my dad had just passed away and it was an opportunity to just get away and, and start again. Um, so I moved up to Newcastle, not having a plan. Well, my plan was I was going to get a job at a gym, be a personal trainer and, um you know, my self-esteem was really, really good in regards to, at that point, what I had to offer. You know, I'd just proven to myself. I'd started something and finished it. You know, a lot of the time when your self-esteem's not great, it's because you start something and don't finish it. And it's very rare that we finish what we say we're going to do. And I had it started and I'd finished it. So my self-esteem was really, really high. I had great feedback from Virgin Active. You know, everyone loved me there. So I turned to Newcastle, knowing that I was going to get a job. I was like, I'm going to go work at Nuffield Health. Because um, that was the um, the only commercial gym in like the area. I was like, I'm gonna get a job there. I remember my friend Holly. She was like, What if you don't? What if you don't get the job there? And I was like, I will get the job there. And um, you know, but inf- infinite belief, not arrogance, just total belief. And 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 again, lots of things like that. Repetition of really seeing myself doing something. Power like this was before I was aware of visualization, but I've always naturally done it anyway but and then I got the job and then it went from one another thing was like right okay I'm gonna have because the personal trains at Virgin Active they were um they were doing like 40 sessions a week that was the standard so I didn't know not doing 40 sessions a week wasn't an option um so I was like right I'm gonna do 40 sessions a week at Nuffield Health before I even got the job and I got the job and then two weeks later I was like 40 sessions and I was like done it and then just went through from there really but just tunnel vision of focus i guess yeah you, you do have almost a gift in a sense it can also be a gift and, and, and also a not a negative thing but a, a gift in terms of you've never known anything different but work and that's your expectation your your expectations of yourself have been set so high from such a young age that you don't know any different i think a lot of people don't have that incentive and you went into this nothing health in two weeks to pick up they, to get 40 sessions if anybody isn't a personal trainer doesn't know that it's a lot that's that's a lot of effort to get up to that late in two weeks so was there anything that you done or any lessons that you learned any strategies or techniques in them initial two weeks that you applied to get to that point of 40 sessions don't leave the gym until so i would turn up not on my shifts i would i would be living in the gym you know and i would i would say i'm not leaving today until i've got 10 leads so after four days i had 40 leads and I was there for seven, um, seven days a week. So the first week I had 70 leads and I didn't convert them all, but by the second week I'd convert 40 of them. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just as simple as that. It was just, I will not leave until, until I've done it. Um, but, you know, a lot of this hard work and drive was massively fueled by insecurity and the need for other people to give me praise. So like growing up as a kid, my mum would really express, look, I felt good when people were saying, wow, well done, God, that's amazing. So my, for me to feel okay didn't come from me feeling okay me. It came, had to come from an external source of people saying, wow, this is really impressive. So that's where a lot of the drive came from, from mass insecurity 
of not feeling good enough myself but needing the approval approval of others so that's why it was always the extreme so from a young age of 15 doing 30 sessions is because the amount of adults that would say oh my god that's absolutely crazy really made me feel good so you know as much as i was loving the job i was probably loving it a little bit more the that oh my god like that's that's mental and it was only until you know my mid-20s when I actually became comfortable in myself enough to differentiate the two and I didn't need that as much um but I'm glad I had that but I think a lot of people have that but they don't recognize it but a lot of it comes from undervaluing my own inner voice and overvaluing other people's um voice yeah that was gonna I was gonna say do you, do you sometimes have that inner voice in terms of like if you get in your head right I'm gonna for the first week of this this new job I'm gonna stay in the gym until I pick up this many clients do you have that little voice in your head that's like maybe you're tired and stuff and you're like oh right I need to go home now but there's a voice in your head saying no Max you said to yourself you've set this out you need to go and achieve because I know for myself if I write down things say I've got like I'm big on planning and I will talk about routines and stuff and more routines but I'm big on like planning the day before and I set myself like maybe like five main things to do for the day. And if I know if I don't hit them at the end of the day, it's going to drive me insane, which is why my missus kills me when it's like later at night and I'm on my laptop and I know I need to switch off or I'm on my phone trying to get stuff done. But there's like a voice in my head saying, no, you need to do this. It's like these podcasts. I get nervous for every single podcast, but I know that I need to do it because I'm going to feel so much better for doing it afterwards. Like You can relate it to like a football match. If you're a football, you, you get nervous before things that you actually care about, but completing it, you know the feeling afterwards. Do you have that same sort of oh, thing totally. in your head? Totally. And I, and I think it's about training it as well. So, in, you know, in the same way that your mind can say just one more, just one more, you know, if you've trained it to be that way, most of us have trained it in the wrong way of, ah, oh, that's enough now, you know? So it's not that it's a, it's like, it's just through habit. I habitually go for one more. And like anyone who knows me, if you're going to describe me in one word, it would probably be just one more. Like on my gym wall, it says just one more rep. And that kind of sums me up like, whatever it is, I just want one more. And, you know, like, again, as a, as a child, my mum would always be like, God, oh, you know, you're never happy. Like you, you always want more. Like I'm, Christmas day, I'd be like, Oh God, I can't wait till next Christmas when I get, it was, you know, and I've managed to harness that, that uh, lack of gratitude for what I have and put it into, into, into drive, you know, but, um, but yeah, I definitely have mo. you know, I'll go for a run or something. I'll be like, right, I'm going to go for 5k. And then when I get to 5k, I'm like, 6k and I'm like 7k but as soon as I've said it I have to do it because mm -hmm. you know if you say you're going to do something you don't then it starts affecting your integrity and if your integrity is infected then it starts impacting your self-esteem and you know it's a snowball effect in the other way so I'm almost driven by the fear of what I would become if I didn't um you know so it's both drive and fear based kind of. yeah I like that I like that because as humans, we are designed to stay in our comfort zone. Like it's in our human nature to be comfortable and try and stay warm and stay in there. Like if majority of people had the choice, they didn't have to work and they were getting income for doing nothing. A lot of people would just stay at home, the comfort and watch TV because they're comfortable. But once you get into that headspace where you you need to go and do something, like you've got a passion for something, you need to say, right, I'm going to go and do this now. Once you take that step out of your comfort zone and do something, then it's almost like that becomes your norm now. Your norm is doing this one thing and you've obviously set that very, very young at the 30 sessions, then progressing to 40 sessions and saying to yourself, right, I'm going to live at the gym until I pick up 40 clients or whatever it is. Like you set them boundaries and you just kind of keep on saying yes, yes, yes. And like you mentioned with the example with the run, like you do your 5k if you, that little voice comes in your head you know that you need to go and do that 6k or that 7k but it's great however it can get to a point where 
you're kind of overdoing it did you ever get to the point where you were maybe pushing yourself too much with yourself too hard that it kind of had a negative <laughs> oh, negative effect totally man totally i mean like god i've worked 80 hour weeks from 2000 and uh probably 16 till before covid um you know like i was exhausted it was until i got to covid that i realized how exhausted i was like i'd forgotten like, i don't feel tired now but i had forgotten what it felt like to not feel tired like i was that exhausted but um you know so yeah I totally yeah i've burnt myself out a few times i mean i've always been able to switch on like because you mentioned before about uh, changing your emotional state, you know, like I was aware from quite a young age how to change your emotional state, which a lot of people don't realize. So you mentioned doing push-ups, you know, there's two ways to change your emotional state. And when you combine them both together, it's game over. And that's movement, your, the way that your body moves and your focus. So, you know, I would always match my thinking with my physical. So before any session, no matter how knackered I was, I would... You know, I would, I would say, I've got loads. Of, I'm a bit weird in the sense that I'll be on my own, and I'll be, literally be on my own. I'm like, I've got loads of energy. I've got loads of energy, and I'll literally be saying that to myself, psyching myself up, getting myself moving. And I mean, like, God, if you followed me with a camera, sometimes you think this guy is mental. <laughs> um, but I knew that I had to prime myself to do it because that's what people were paying for. They're not paying for me to be like. Mm-hmm oh you're tired like the pain for me to give them a bit of me and that does take its toll over time and I, I definitely got to the point when I was building the first gym you know that I was my quality was really starting to go down I was just no matter how much I was priming myself up every time I prime myself up it was just a little less and a little less and a little less and then you know and that's when I really needed to um, take a step back and, and just start focusing on on me a little bit more. You know, I was not training mm-hmm. much. I was just so focused on to be successful in anything. You have to be a bit obsessed. You know, like everyone's like, oh, balance, balance. Yeah, you can have balance, but you're not going to achieve anything. Re- well, you will achieve stuff, but you're not going to be probably as successful as you want to be as fast as possible. You've got to be a little bit obsessed with your craft to be able to have the drive to push you through the times where you just have nothing. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's about, you know, it's like a flight, that's like a plane. When you're on the plane and the plane, you know, you feel that push, it gets you in the air, but then eventually smooths down. So you need to have that obsessive behavior and that drive to get you off the off the, the you know the road. And then once you're in the air, that's when the balance can come in a little bit more. So like my balance yeah. now is, is great, great balance, but I couldn't have got to where I was now if I had the same level of balance that I have now. Because there's not yeah. movement. Yeah, you've got to have some sacrifices. There's going to have to be a long period of time where you are like running yourself into the ground. But once you get to that point, that's when you can kind of take your foot off the gas and be like, right, I've worked hard there. I need to refresh. It's like it's the same with your training. Like you can't hammer yourself for training twenty four seven every single day of the week because you're going to burn out. You need that time to take a day off, do some mobility, take a deload, go for whatever it is. But exactly what you said there, the analogy with the the plane stuff is perfect. So, what did you do when you got to that point where you you were burnt out? Obviously, we'll we'll talk about you in terms of progressing we'll tell you what we'll talk about after no field health at what point did you get to the point where you knew or you, maybe you wanted to did you have a, a job at a different gym after no field health sorry i'm getting sidetracked yeah so i went to exercise for less i took my clients there right, yeah so i'd signed up oh, this is terrible man i'd signed up 40 people to exercise for less two weeks after i joined them up for a year's contract exercise for less turned around to me and said we're getting rid of self-employed personal trainers 
um, and we're employing the personal trainers. And that was, from a career point of view, a, a bigger step back than it would have been enough field of being getting paid less. And the, the structure of it, I just didn't believe in the structure of how they were going to run it. And, uh, you know, I always think people take action when they've either got inspiration or desperation. And that was a, a, it was a desperate moment for me when I opened the gym. I'll get to that in a second. But so anyway, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with the personal trainers leaving the gym left, right and center, quitting being personal trainer, just giving up. And I was like, I can't do, I'm too much of a people pleaser to give up on, on people, you know? So I was like, I could go to another gym, but if that happens, you know, what if this happens again? Um, and then I was on, I was training one of my clients and, uh, you know, I don't stay down for long. You know, I'm, I'm very, I'm quite an up and down person. I'm either hundred percent or like the world's ended, mm-hmm. but I don't allow myself to stay there for long. You know, I'll be there for an hour at most um, before I just myself out of it. But anyway, so I'd just been given this news and my client was on the, um, Jenny, she was, she was on the bike and I was telling her and she was like, well, why don't you open your own gym? I mean, I was 21 at the time. Um, so like the, the thought, my, this was always a stepping stone for me to open a gym. Um, you know, uh, but I said I was going to open a gym when I was 25, 26. Again, not, that was more probably procrastination due to the fact that I didn't know how to. Uh, and I was like, when she says, why don't you open your own gym? I was like, no, I can't, I don't know how. And she was like, well, why not? And I was like, why don't I open my own gym? And then, you know, she, she was like, you can definitely do it. And then it was just a case of breaking it down. I was looking at the, the elephant rather than how to actually do it. So once I got over that overwhelming feeling of, I don't know how, I started asking better quality questions in the sense of, okay, well, how can I, what do I need to do? If I don't have the answers, who does have the answers? And then it was just a case of, you know, pretty much winged it the whole, the whole way. And I realized, you know, for a lot of people who are thinking about going into a business or having a business, they think they need to have it all figured out before they actually take the plunge. But like everyone in business is pretty much winging it. It sounds really cool. Me being like, yeah, but five year plan, I've got structure, bam, bam, bam. And I would probably be way more successful if I did, but I don't, you know, I have a, a strong idea of where I want to take it and I kind of wing it. I have certain, certain, um, like things that need to be mm-hmm. done routinely, but a lot of it is pretty much, you know, just going off feel, going off my gut. And so far it's served me purpose, but, um, but yeah, so I was there and I was like, shit, I just don't know what to do. And I was like, right, okay, I'm going to open my own gym. And then I heard about the law of attraction. I don't know if you heard about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A secret. And I, I, started, I remember having a real bad back at the time. It just turned out I had really tight glutes. Um, but in the, in the secret, it says, start talking how you want to, you know, things to be. And I would say to people all the time, oh, God, my back's really bad at the moment. My back's really bad. When I, and, and they use the example of, you know, if you've got a bad back, don't tell everyone that you've got a bad back. Start telling people your back's fixed. Shit, you know. And everyone. I mean, my back was killing me for, for over a year. And I was telling everyone, my back's absolutely fine now. It's amazing. It wasn't. But within a week, within a week, my back was perfect. And I was like, what the hell? And then, um, and then I'd been visualizing, actually, yeah, I'd been visualizing having a gym before they told me that they were going to um, get rid of personal trainers and then this happened and then 
next thing you know, I'm going to get a gym. And then I just signed up this client. And then the client um, said, oh, you know, I, um, I know a, a warehouse that's, that's going up for rent. Do you want me to speak to, he's my mate, do you want me to speak to him, see if you can go and have a look? And I was like, whoa, everything was falling into place. I was so, every single day I was visualizing having a gym, having a gym, having a gym, making it successful. And as I really visualized that, that literally manifested. It was crazy. I remember having a, a light bulb moment of how powerful your thoughts are and how much they can really bring. And it sounds crazy, but I swear yeah. to God, it happened to me, you know. And when, when you think about it, like, uh, you know, anything that we've all owned, that we all own now, was started off with just a thought and eventually it all manifests. But it's quite hard to visualize things that you don't know how to get. Um, yeah, you know, it's easy to visualize on a car because you think, oh, it's a simple person. I need enough money to buy the car. Whereas when it's something that you have so much lack of knowledge, you, you don't even know where the first step of visualizing it is. But um, I was just visualizing having the gym, and then eventually it just happened. It was crazy. Yeah, I like how you mentioned about wigging it because I feel like I'm wigging it every single day. I mean, everybody, everybody is almost we're all brought in this life, and we've got the same sort of stuff. Some people have got a little bit more advantage with families and upbringing and stuff like that. But we do, we all have the same opportunities in a sense. We all create our own path. So. What you said there about wigging it, starting off something like I took, I do the example of like my podcast just as an example. I started off with like a crappy old HP laptop with no mic, all this sort of, and then it's just you just over time you learn to get a little bit better. The conversation maybe you become a bit more confident. You learn right. I need to plan my notes out just so I've got a little bit of structure in my head. But like you said to said before about your structure, you have kind of basic stuff. Like I have my little notes to the side, but barely even touch them it just kind of like you go off field by the end of it it's the same sort of thing with whatever you do if you want to start something start it and you will get better and you'll find different things you'll learn different things along the way like you with your gym which we'll touch on now in terms of you'll probably start off and then you'll probably be all right that wasn't very good but i'm going to improve on that and then you just it's just a learning process and we are like i said we're all kind of given the same sort of starting point it's just about building the bricks and and, and kind of working your way up to the point and You'll learn things along the way at the end of the day. So if you want to, if you want to start something, just start it. The most important thing, though, is defining your destination, and that's something mm -hmm. that. So, like, as much as I winged it, I was very, very specific on what I wanted my outcome to be. How I was going to get there was where I was winging it, but I was specific on what I wanted. So, an example, you know, a lot of people probably come to you and say, "I want to get fit. I want to get more toned," right? But that's mm -hmm. just too open. It's like me saying to you, "Meet me down south." How would you know when? where and where, how far down south. If I said, meet me at London Friday on the 1st of December at one o'clock outside Buckingham Palace, you would know when you'd landed there and you're going to have a much better chance of getting, even if you don't know the map, if you know the destination, you can figure it out along the way. But if your destination's too like hazy, it's really, really hard to, to, to find the right turns and the wrong turns and things like that. So, you know, as much as I wing it, I always make sure that I really specify on where it is that I'm aiming for. So for example, Nuffield Health, 40 sessions a week. It was 40 sessions a week. It wasn't over 30. It was specifically 40. So I had something to work towards. On my iPad, I had the time slots of the sessions where I, that I wanted to fill. So it was very visual. So I knew exactly what I needed to do. How I was going to do it might have varied on the day to day, but I knew on the day I need to get 10 people today and I'm not leaving until I get 10 people. How I do that is, is, is up to debate, but mm -hmm. specify what it is that you want your outcome to be, and it's a lot easier for it to fall into place. Yeah. 
I like that I have the end de- destination. I think that's something for myself that I still don't have in my head, which is why we talked before the podcast about I'm doing so many different things. But going back to having that destination and the process along the way, like things aren't going to, if you try and plan out every single step along the way, right, and it do this, 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 and this to get to there, like something's going to go wrong could be a, a global virus pandemic or something like that, that that might ruin things but yeah there's going to be things where you're going to have to deviate off plan you might have to like use the example of going down to London like you might go down the A1 there might be a traffic jam or like a car crash you might have to go down a different route sort of thing it's the same sort of thing in life if you've got a, a vision with something that you want to do you might have that end destination you might plan on things going nice and smoothly and then something horrendous happening you might have to take a different path yeah. or it might take you a little bit longer or like just the route will always change so Having that clear destination, perfect, exactly, which is like I said, I know myself, I need to work on, but the roots, like you said, you are you are winging it in a sense and you just you just learn what's the best part. Yeah, yeah. Agile and flexible with your approach. Um, mm-hmm. But it's okay to like, so say you, you're saying, I don't really know my destination, I'm just winging it at the moment. Short term, that's okay. Long term, that'll lead to nothing. But mm-hmm. short term, right now, winging it will probably be sparking ideas of, well, actually, I like this. You know, in this area, I'm going to go down this path. And, you know, so it's okay to wing it and not have a plan short term, but putting a time frame on it's really important. So saying to yourself, right, okay, for the next six months, I'm going to wing, I'm going to see how I feel, I'm going to see how I like this, but then knowing on the six months, if you've not got found the outcome that you wanted, then you need to start asking different questions. So time framing how long you're prepared to wing it without a plan is really important because yeah, yeah. otherwise you end up that's why so many people end up lost in life is because you know people plan their holidays better than they plan their life you know and and and, and because we don't put time frames on how long we're prepared to potentially be maybe a little bit winging it here there. does that make sense yeah yeah 100 i like the analogy in terms of people planning the holidays i think that's why people do get caught in the cycle of life and it's just like just getting by the week like all right i need to get through this week and get to the weekend because i can go on go on a saturday night and have a few drinks and forget about things they get stuck in that sort of cycle whereas if you do have like an end destination that end sort of goal your focus isn't getting through the week your focus is that long term you're probably going to have that drive and life's going to have a purpose i think that's one of the big things a lot of people don't have in life is that purpose yeah. like whatever it is everybody's going to have some some like for a lot of women it's having a nice family and, and bringing up the kids and stuff like that. that's their purpose and all my miss that's my, my missus's dream that's their purpose and they're going to enjoy that but like for other people if your purpose is your business is becoming a professional footballer if you have that drive and that focus for something your life's going to be so much better and you've got to learn to enjoy that process as well, which I think you've probably learned as well a lot more now, enjoying that process. And you kind of summarised what is self-awareness really. So like you said, a lot of yeah. people have purpose and, and that's true through for the fact that not a, pe- a lot of people have the have a great relationship with self-awareness. You know, some people don't even know what self-awareness is, you know, realising what my skills are, what do I want, you know, a lot of the questions that we tend to ask ourselves and, and I, me included, you know, like, you know, my life really took off when I learned about personal development and created a deeper sense of self-awareness. But, you know, a lot of us, me included, before I learned about this stuff is, you know, this is who I am, this is how I am, this is how, I was, how I'm always going to be, is a, is a big mindset for most. They don't realize that there is, you know, you can't change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction. But knowing that that's a possibility in itself opens up so many windows, you know, like, Questions control what you focus on and what you focus on is what you experience. And nine times out of 10, if your experience is quite disempowering, probably because you're focusing on disempowering things because the way that you are speaking is in a disempowering way. And, you know, 
as soon as you create the self-awareness and recognize that your self-talk is the, the captain of the ship to get you to the destination that you want to be, then it's game over. But until you generate enough self-awareness to recognize how powerful your self-talk is, then you get lost in the, in the thickness of, of life and not really knowing what the hell I'm doing. You know, yeah, yeah. do me rather than for me. And I think that's the switch. You know, right now, you're, you seem like you're in the, in the place where life's happening for you. You're looking for opportunities. You know, if you look for a, if you, if you want a red car, you're thinking about buying a red car, suddenly you're going to start seeing a lot of red cars. So they were always there, but now you're thinking about a red car, you start seeing it. And it's the same with opportunity. Once you become open to the thought and possibilities of opportunity, suddenly you start seeing them everywhere. But if you don't believe you deserve it, you're probably not looking for it and you're probably not going to find it. Yeah, 100%. When do you think you started getting into mindfulness? Was it through podcasts, books, or was it just something that you kind of realized in yourself? Um, I would I would say I, I became a very aware of it, specifically that this is personal development. I'm actively searching for this to help improve the development of myself when I was about 21, just before, when I was at Excise for Less. But I would say that naturally, quite fortunate that, you know, due to my upbringing, I had to, you know, I had to grow up pretty fast. Like, you know, I wasn't, my mum my was a great mum. And, but no matter how great a mum she was, I was exposed to a lot of trauma growing up, you know, for, you know, with, with my dad, you know, nearly dying most years and having epileptic fits, you know, dementia, didn't know who I was, you know, himself having to clean him at a really young age you know feed him watching him choke you know like all the, the thing you know real tough tough stuff so from a really young age i had to really learn how to self-nurture and how to coach myself through this um so in one sense that experience taught me how to naturally develop a personal development mindset because everything was always about what's the next best thing because say for instance I planned to go and see my friends, but then my dad has an epileptic fit and I have to stay in and care for him. If I just focus on the fact I'm not seeing my friends, I'm going to be miserable. So I got really used to focusing, right? Well, what's the next best thing? And, and that, you know, it, I, from a young age, I was, I was naturally asking myself good quality questions so that when it came to the point where I came aware of personal development, the reason why I got so into it so quickly is because I was like, oh, wow, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing that. Like I knew I had an ability to make myself feel good or others feel good, but I didn't fully understand. I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was just a feeling. I had the ability to connect with myself or connect with others or get people feeling a certain way or myself feeling a certain way, but I just didn't have the, the names of the tools. And then personal development, when I learned about in, when I was 21, I started recognizing, oh, wow, that's a tool. That's called this oh, that's at all when I'm feeling this, that's because of this. And that's when it all came through as a jigsaw. And that's really when I was like, wow, this is, for the, when I started getting to personal development for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, I'm not stupid. You know, one of my biggest insecurities was that I was stupid because, you know, at school I really struggled. Like uh, I wasn't academic, didn't get the best grades, found it really difficult. So my, my core belief of who I was was I was stupid. I would have told you that I was dyslexic before we even started this conversation because I want to tell you that I knew that I was stupid before you found out, you know, and it was only until doing personal development that I recognized emotional and social intelligence is the ultimate intelligence and academia, not that to devalue it because it's totally got its place, but 
you know, in the direction that I was going in my life, I needed more social and emotional intelligence than I did academia. Um, mm-hmm. Funny ones when I came about it, recognized that there was a lot of traits that I had naturally in it and the excitement of who I could become with all this knowledge has never ended. You know, I listen to an hour every day, um, you know, with the, the excitement of being able to pass on the knowledge, you know, to like in this podcast, for instance, I've got loads I want to say and I feel like I can confidently project it to you because of how much repetition of things that I've listened to and the excitement mm-hmm. of sharing that value with people is uh, is like a, a never-ending, you know, bundle of excitement, really. <laughs> yeah, you can see it comes out of you, mate. I'm the same. I love, this is the conversations that I love having and you're like, some of the things you're seeing, I'm like, yeah, 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 that's exactly the sort of things. And in terms of your, like, the mindfulness, I think, some people learn mindfulness through going through life, but unfortunately, the people who do learn it through life, a lot of it's through trauma or through something bad that's happened in their life, or maybe they've had a tough upbringing. And you've obviously learned a lot of life lessons really, really young, and picked them up so young. And like, like that's that's like I was talking to one of my clients the other day, and he was saying like, like, like oh, like talking about mental health and stuff. How do you feel? And with lockdown with stuff, he's like, oh, mate, I'm fine. Like everything in my life's kind of going all right. I've got a secure job at the minute. My family's all right. And, and, and it's like, he's never really had to suffer through mental health, but the people who don't have that, I almost feel sorry, not sorry for them in a sense, because it's great that they've got a good life, but they don't learn them lessons. A lot of the time they have to learn them lessons through the books, through podcasts, from hearing it from other people. And it might take them later in life to actually learn about how their own emotions are feeling, maybe connecting the dots with how they're responding to things and actually the reasons behind it. But with yourself, you've had those life lessons earlier on. You've picked on it in the twenty by the twenty age of twenty one, being that switched on to your own mind and your own emotions is something a lot of twenty one year olds don't have. It takes people thirties, forties, even fifties sometimes. Some people never get to that point where they're that switch onto their own emotions. So it's a blessing. Obviously it's a blessing and a curse it's in a sense. Oh blessing man. You know, like mm-hmm. for for some people, COVID right now is the hardest thing that they've ever endured. This is not the hardest thing that I've ever endured. This is very familiar feeling of feeling trapped and feeling that I can't do what I want to do. Like I feel pretty in my comfort zone. I've got stresses of the business and stuff, and that's not nice. Like the lens that I'm looking through at the moment, there's a lot of things I could focus on that which I could fall victim to. But this is not the hardest thing that I've been through in my life. And, and I think probably the people who are struggling the most are this is the toughest thing they've ever gone through. And, you know, I'm very lucky in the sense of I went through a very, very tough um, time in my childhood because, but it's prepared me for later life. And I'm, and I'm glad that I did because it's out of the way now, you know, like whatever life throws at me, I've probably seen it, you know, and I've dealt with it with an immature mind. And it's hard to deal with tough things when you don't have the tools to be able to rationalize and nurture yourself through it. So now, if shit hits the fan, it'll still be hard and it'll still be tough. But I have the the understanding with how to self-nurture to get myself through these situations, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's why some people who are thriving right now and who are getting through this are probably have potentially been through worse stuff previously. So it's not as bad. And it's like fitness. It's like the most intense workout you've ever done. Anything that's less than that is not as bad. Did you know? You know what I mean? And it's the same with the same with life. You know, like the most intense thing that you go through, you reach that. That's your threshold now. That's what you can take. You've survived that. You know you can take that. So if you're here, you know you can handle that. When it gets there, it's like, oh, I don't know if I can handle that. But if you do, wow, now there's your threshold, and, and that's 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, no. When you get, when you get, like, I was talking about comfort zones. Once you step out of that comfort zone and you do something tough and challenging, it could be a workout, it could be something to do with your business, could be public speaking, a podcast, whatever it is. Once you step out of that comfort zone, get like do it for a certain amount of time. That becomes your comfort zone, and you just keep on raising the ceiling each time. Yeah. It just becomes more, and that's when like people look at the successful businessmen, like I don't know Gary V's and stuff, for example, who have. The, the days are so busy they've got so much on the plate and people are like how the hell do you but like, I'm looking at you like you've got your own business and all this that and the other like how do you do that but it's just step by step it just becomes the norm you get to that level it's tough for a little bit and then it eases out and then it's tough for a little bit and it eases out you just keep on progressing so that's why starting things and pushing yourself out your comfort zone is so important what are you gonna say? well you just so like I, I have you ever heard about the competence triangle heard, heard of it but I wouldn't know what it is heard of it the competence triangle basically the bottom of the pyramid there's unconsciously incompetent. And that's, I don't know what I don't know. So that's where a lot of us start. And then it goes to consciously incompetent. You're aware of what you don't know. And then it becomes consciously competent. That's when you have to really think about what you're doing. So you're aware of what you don't know and have to think about being able to do it. And then you become unconsciously competent. That's where you don't have to think about what you're doing. So, you know, I don't know, setting up this podcast, it's probably a lot smoother for you now because you've got a little bit of a process and an understanding that it was when you mm-hmm. started. Because when you first started, I don't know what I don't know. So it's really hard to get that information. So people like Gary Vee who are hyper successful, they're unconsciously competent with how to develop. That hasn't always been that way. We've seen that. and We've always seen that, oh my God, like how they're handling all this stuff. But they will have climbed the ladder. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned about the company, the, uh, comfort zone and stuff once you become unconsciously competent you don't waste time on the things that you don't need to to do you know like i could never have handled the shit that i have to handle now five years ago because i've learned so much in, in five years that you know i won't waste my time you learn to cut corners not to cut out quality but to cut out mm. stuff that doesn't it's the 80 20 rule yeah yeah, I'm big on that productivity. Do you are you big on terms of like routines or anything or like planning stuff out, morning routines? Do you do anything like that like that at all? Um I would love to say to you yes. Uh but I don't know whether I'm gonna say no right now because of quarantine. So like I feel like my um sense of what I do is a little bit out of sync because of the past year. So mm-hmm. normally in my everyday today life, I'll be up at five o'clock in the morning. I'll be doing, uh, you know, classes by quarter six. I would have routine. So I would say that normally I would have routine and I, and I definitely think that's had a massive impact on the speed that I've grown. Also due to the fact that I start very early in the morning. It gives me like, you know, if someone started at 10 and I've been up since five, I'm five hours ahead of those guys, you know. So, but at the moment, I would say my route, I don't have a specific routine, but I have standards of what needs to be done. So for instance, I have to do my MyFitnessPal every day. I need to do, you know, four steady state cardios a week and four workouts a week. Where I fit them in is where I fit them in, but I have to do those. That's why I owe, um, you know, for me to be able to feel the way that I feel, there's a certain work you need to, you know, you need to put in the same way with a job. If you want to earn 2,000 pounds a month, there's certain things you need to do. But if you want that 10,000 pounds a month, there's certain things you need to do. So if you want to feel 10,000 pounds, there's certain things you've got to do to earn it. You know, do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. at the moment, I wouldn't say I've got specific routine of I wake up, I do this, but I've got the fundamentals of what needs to be done, but it's kind of spread yeah. out a little bit more. It's like non-negotiables. That's what I like to call them, like non-negotiable yeah. things that yeah. you need to 
need to get done for today. I like that because some people are thrive off routine, which I've done a podcast with um, a few lads from the If You Care Share Foundation. I don't know if you've heard them, but I not know one of them. And one of them's, again, really OCD with his stuff. And he says he tries not to get too much into routine because if he falls into a, like, a really regimented routine, if his routine goes off, that really affects him. And I know myself, I need to do the same thing. For example, this morning, I got up um, I got up, and my missus' car wasn't working. So my routine was completely put off. So I had to go out and try and help her get her car working. I had to drop her off at work and come back. Like, completely put me out of my routine. So I'm, like, already stressing, like, I'm behind on my routine and stuff like that. But you've got to be able to adapt to stuff. Yes, I'm big on routine. I do. I'm, like, the I make my bed culture. I'm big on, like, stuff like that just because it works well for me. Again, I need to be able to – what's that, sorry? Start with a win. Start with, start with a win. Start with things that maybe you don't want to do and then becomes the like, the rest of the day becomes easier because if you start off with that, like, it's funny, it's funny I said that. I made my bed, had my cold shower and then I put the washing out. I never really do the washing that much. My, my, my missus will say that all the time but, like, it just kind of snowballs into one thing and the other. Like, you start off with doing one thing that you don't really enjoy doing or that you know in your head, there's a little voice in your head saying, like, you don't want to do this. This is going to hurt. You don't want to do like sort of thing. an audio book called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And yeah. so the principle of it is, if you ate a frog first thing in the morning, everything else that you eat for the rest of the day is going to taste a lot nicer. So, you know, doing the hard shit in the morning, getting that out of the way, the rest of the day is a lot easier. So, and I think mm. as well, if you can start the day off with, because cold showers requires mental toughness. When I do it, I can hear it. But knowing that I'm prepared to put myself in an uncomfortable position through my choice when an uncomfortable position happens when it's not my choice and know I can handle it. And I think do mm. you, you saying there's bang on the money. Um, yeah. But you know, again, with routine, I'm not very certainty driven. So like, I don't know if you know about the basic six human needs. I probably, I, I maybe name a few of them. I'm guessing it's like, go on, I'll let you say it because I'll end up missing a few. Well, you've got, <laughs> so you've got certainty and variety significance mm -hmm. love and connection growth and contribution right so we all have the same needs but we value them on different areas so your friend who's got ocd probably massively values certainty more than variety because he needs things to be a specific way so an example do you know someone who goes on holiday to the same destination every single year yeah. the same place do, yeah. know someone who goes on to a dip holiday on a different place every time of year. So they value certainty over variety. But you always need, always need a balance of the two. So have you ever watched, um, what's your favorite movie? Oh man, I'm so, I'm terrible with movies, you know. I, I couldn't say. Um, I couldn't say off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was younger, when I, when I was younger, I would say goal, big football fan, Santiago Munez. That's what, when I, when I was younger, that's what I would say, but now I wouldn't know. Have you watched goal a couple of times? Oh, five or six, maybe when I was younger. We used to, we used to love it. Okay, so when you used to watch Goal, you had the certainty that the film was really good, but you hoped that you'd not seen it in a while so that when you watched it again, there'd be some variety in there. You might see something new or something that you didn't remember. Does that make sense? Mm. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we're always doing things to fulfill our needs. You know, if you didn't have the certainty right now that your ceiling wasn't going to come crashing down on your head, we probably wouldn't be able to have this conversation. So there's always, you always need to balance, but when it's tipped too far on one scale, so when COVID happened, everyone freaked out because it was too much uncertainty. It was like, what the hell is going to go on? And now there's a bit of a mix, but there's almost too much certainty in the mundane routine of life that people are bored. But there's mm -hmm. still a bit too much uncertainty in the sense of what's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? So that's why people feel uneasy. So it's about, you know, people, 
need to hit their, their certain amount. And you've got significant love and connection. Like, I could go through it. It's really interesting, but I, 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 that's how, kind no. of how I based my PT um, is, mm-hmm. is on those those core needs. Because if you can get, yeah. through, you can, so I'll go for it. Significance. Um, so, for example, no one wants to feel insignificant. You might not want to be the, the main person at the party where everyone's screaming, you know, you might want to be. Um, but you certainly do not want to feel like you are not important. So, you know, because when we feel like we're nobody, no one loves us, like, it doesn't feel good. But So we need to have a baseline of significance. Love and connection, obviously, friends, family, knowing that you're loved and that you can connect with people makes you feel good. A lack of that doesn't feel good. But again, depending on who you are, depends on how much you value them. I'm massively significance-driven. You know, for me to feel like me, I need to be doing things that make me feel significant. Men, stereotypically, more significance-driven due to the testosterone in, in the brain and women tend to be more love and connection oriented. Uh, and then the last two are growth and contribution. And these are two um, elements that make you feel fulfilled. So, but again, it's about a balance. So progress equals happiness, right? If you think of any area in your life where you feel great, it's an area that's growing. And now if you think of an area where you don't feel great, it's probably because it's not developing, it's regressing. So we know growth equals happiness. So we need to grow to feel good. But if you grow too much and you've not contributed to anything, you tend to feel pretty lonely. No one understands. It's like, it's not always good. So to feel fulfilled, it's about growing to be able to contribute. So right now your podcast's growing and you probably feel great about your podcast because you are growing personally, but you're also growing with contribution. You are contributing to other people being able to gain the information and they feel good because they're, you know, so growth and contribution are key to feeling fulfilled. If you're missing those, if you're not feeling happy in life, it's probably because you're either not contributing enough to other people or you're not growing enough. But when you get the two matched together, that's fulfillment. And if you can get three of your needs met at the same time, you'll become addicted. And that's how I get my, that's how I've got people so invested in maximum fitness is because I make sure three of the needs are always hit by knowing mm-hmm. people's names, significance, by having structure with the routine, certainty, by throwing in different bits and bobs every now and then, variety by making sure that we build strong rapport with people so they feel valued and loved, love and connection, by giving them a platform where they can make solid progress, growth, by encouraging positive feedback to others and supporting other people on the journey, contribution. So at Mm -hmm. some point, the structure of the business, it's going to hit all three at one point. might not hit them all at the same time, but whereabouts it will. And the people who have been with us throughout the course of that, whether or not they realise it or not, three of their needs will have been hit. Yeah. Was that from an audiobook you say? You have to send me that over after. Was it an audiobook that you learn all that from? I need to, I need to relearn all that. I know if you want if you're listening to this podcast, go back and go through. But if you set was it an audiobook that you um, kinda of learned all that from? Uh, you heard of Tony Robbins. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, you know, when you were on about doing getting yourself all hyped up beforehand, I was gonna say, do you follow Tony Robbins when he's on his little trampoline before uh, everything? Yeah, yeah. Tony Robbins fan. So Tony Robbins is who just who broke down that structure of your six basic human needs. Um, and that's a game changer for me, massively. Um, but yeah, I'm massively into Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, Les Brown, um, you know, all those guys. They're the, they're, they are my mentors. They're my social circle. Um, you know, they say you're a product of the five people you spend the most time with. I make sure yeah. most time with those guys. Mm-hmm. I like that one because when people hear that, they probably think it's actually the friends and stuff like that. But people don't realize that it's the influences on social media through podcasts, through videos and stuff. 
Like it's not just the the people who you actually physically see and physically talk to, which is something like if you're, would you say you're quite, you like to be on your own quite a bit, or do you like do you feel more comfortable surrounding yourself with other people? Or are you kind of a little bit of both? Um, probably a bit of a bats. I'm I'm comfortable on my own because I'm an only child and I had to learn. Like being on my own was just a normal thing. Um, mm. But I'm very sociable. I love being around people. So. I don't know whether I've got one more than the other. Um, that's a good question. I, I feel pretty good in, in either of the two, but I think it's a balance. You know, like I would say I'm the type of person when I'm around people, I want to like, I want to make you feel good. I want to make you feel good in you so that you feel open to being able to be who you want to be so you can have a good time. Because if you're having a good time, I'm having a good time. And my sole purpose is to have a good time. So, but being that way can be quite tiring. So when I'm around people for too long, I can get really exhausted because I'm, you know, trying to give so much that mm-hmm. if I spend too much time with people, then I end up probably not being a good version of myself. I need to have me time to be able to fill up my cup, to be able to mm-hmm. talk to other people's, you know? Yeah, yes. I was going to say, like, if you if you are someone who always strives of having to be around people, you probably are going to end up being more influenced by them people. But having being able to actually be on your own, which I think a lot of people do actually suffer with it. People, especially these days, when everything's like social media is popping up left, right, and centre, you, 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 it's really easy to stay connected with people. Not being able to step away from that and actually being on your own, whether it be listening to a podcast, whether it be taking a walk on your own, or like meditation, or just just being with your own thoughts. Some people are actually scared to, and they can't do it, which is when kind of mental health comes into it. People not being able to, but if you can have that time with yourself and then invest it in podcasts, in audiobooks, surrounding yourself with people like the Tony Robbins, like different people on podcasts, like you are being influenced by them and being able to have a little bit of a little bit of both is so important. I'm the same. I love my time on my own. Like in the mornings I say to my missus, like just just give me like the first hour of the day, let it be my time. I'll go for a walk, I might exercise, I might do whatever it is, but I need that time to be able to get my own thoughts together, listen to a podcast, set itself up. Then at night time, like once I've done my, my work and stuff like that, I want to be around my family. Like at the minute, I'm still living with my parents. I love that. I love being around my family at nighttime. Love being around my girlfriend, being able to have them a few hours. So it's just that having a balance and understanding what works best for you as well. Because everyone is different. And looking after yourself. I mean, like one of the best quotes I ever heard was by a man, Jim Rowe, Tony Robbins' is, um, mentor. He says, you've got to stand guard at the doorway of your mind. I remember being like, wow, what does that even mean? And he says, you know, imagine that your, your mind... Is a, is a factory, a mental factory. And whatever you put in that factory produces, I don't think you use this specific analogy, but it's kind of how I would do it here. It turns into a cake. How do you want your cake to taste like at the end of the day? Is it negative? Is it drama? Is it gossip? Is it limiting beliefs? So you've got to stand guard at the doorway of your mind and, and be aware of what information you're allowed into your mental factory to make sure that you've got a tasty cake at the end of the day. And you know, I think when you go off on your own, you can actively choose what you listen to. So that you time is you putting stuff in the mental factory to be able to give other people a bit of a tasty cake. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if you're always spending time with other people, you don't always have a hundred percent control of the information that they're going to throw at you. You can decide whether you let it go in or not. That's pretty hard, but having your you, you, you time I think is so important because you have to look after you have to be able to look after yourself for you to be able to look after someone else like if mm-hmm. if you relied on me looking after you you sure as hell hope that I can look after me too 
Because if I can't look after me and I'm responsible for looking after you, you, you're not in a safe position. Do you know what I mean? So it's really, really yeah. important to be able to look after yourself and to take time alone. I definitely think that you're doing mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was going to relate it back to like for myself as well. Back when I was in the environment of football, I was very much influenced by the environment that I was in. Obviously, it's a different conversation altogether. The football environment is completely different. I was so influenced. And I've done podcasts with people talking about, I would have never done this sort of stuff. I would have never videoed myself on camera, done a YouTube channel, because I'm so influenced by what other people are thinking, the people that I'm surrounded I'm kind of wanting to fit in with that environment. But one of the blessings for me is actually stepping out of, of professional football and getting away from that environment and being with myself. I had a lot of time to self-reflect like, on myself and what do I actually want to do? And it gave me time to actually put into a, a, like a plan in place to the stuff that I actually want to do, stuff that I never thought I would have done. And now I couldn't care. Like I'm, I'm, I still go and speak to a lot of my mates who, who I used to play football with and stuff like that. They don't judge me for because they realise that's who I actually am. If you've got a good like, circle of people around you as well who understand it, you're never going to get the piss taken out of you and stuff. And I haven't, honestly, I haven't had one negative thing from from doing that. Maybe because people realise that they, the whole time that I wasn't being myself, I don't know what it is, but sometimes taking that step back away from a circle, like every, I do believe everybody needs a lot of time on their own just to, to be able to get comfortable with it. But taking that step back does help you actually realise, right, what makes me happy? What type of person do I want to be, and what like what long term do I want to do? Am I the thing that I'm doing now? Am I happy doing it in five years time? If I'm doing the same thing I'm doing now, am I going to be happy? If it's no, take that step back, and then you you, you know exactly what I mean, yeah. Oh man, you're so smart, lad. You really are. You've got I appreciate it. Appreciate it. You really do, man. Like the the lens that you're looking through in life is total opportunity and total. You're hungry for growth, man, and that's such a rare quality to find. Like I feel really good being around you right now like I feel good in me and and that's a really really good trait to have in someone and that's why you'll be a really successful personal trainer because you have a real natural ability to ooze off that passion for for growth in yourself and you know right now I feel motivated just listen to you I'm like oh I'm gonna go spend some time you know, but no you, you're absolutely spot on there Brendan and I think that you know not in a I mean I'm only like two years older than you or whatever but the fact that you're coming into all this at the age that you're in, you know, I'd never met anyone who was into, I felt quite lonely when I got into this mindset because I recognized that not many people were of this mindset. And sometimes it, people can almost make you feel like you're a bit do lovely for, you know, all, yeah. and I realized that's just limiting beliefs. You know, when I was getting into real into, into all this, this way of seeing life, because this is how you should see life. If you want to take control of your own happiness and well-being. If that's something that's important to you, you need to start looking at how you can have a growth mindset um, because growth equals happiness. And, you know, the, the fact that you've come into this at the age that you're at is amazing because, like, imagine what you're going to look like in 10 years from now, knowing what you know now. I like A lot of the conversations that I have with people is, God, you came into this so young. They're in the 50s and they're just learning about it now. And, and I'm excited for where they'll be in 10 years. But Jesus where am I going to be in 25 years? You know, I'm going to be in the next Mahatma Gandhi or something, especially with this hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was going to say I'd have a little beard and stuff, but I can't grow anything here, so it's not going to be, I know, we'll both be like that, mate. But now I appreciate that. It's the same with you, the energy and stuff. And when you when you talk to people who have that same sort of mindset, like you buzz off it, don't you? You get that kind of release. And I think that was one of the things where I was so 
kind of fixated on why am I feeling like when I was going through some tough times coming out of football and I had long-term injuries and stuff, which again is a different different topic, but I was so fixated on why am I feeling like this? I wanted to understand the reason and like what can I do? And there's probably people, that, like I've seen examples of people out there who maybe have podcasts or on YouTube, which are the big things that I focused on. Like people who have been through that sort of thing and then struggled, I, I was understanding like, what did they do to get themselves out? Which is when I learned about mindfulness, learned about routine, which is why I'm so big on it because they the, the things like they, that are what helped me to kind of get to the point where I'm at today where I'm very structured and things are slowly starting to, like, I feel like stuff is slowly starting to kind of come together because I felt lost beforehand. And then when you said about like trying to talk to people and people are thinking like, oh, he's a bit like hippie and weird talking about mindfulness and stuff like that. Like, I was like that, like especially when I was in football. There was there's rarely anybody like if because I, I was reading the book. We were on like a way trip, and I was reading the book. Everyone thought it was a weirdo. It's like it, it, when you realize that you're like different. It's not about trying to hide it and trying to change and be like everybody else. Keep being who you are, and the people who are similar to you have that same sort of mindset. They'll appear in your life. Slowly, the ones who aren't like that, they just something as sad as it is you have to kind of push them away in a sense you might still like keep in touch with them and stuff but you do need to push them away and so you'll end up surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded and when you do connect like the conversation that we're having now it'll pick you up so much more and then you, once you surround yourself with the people in that circle you'll all just keep on pushing forward together so yeah all, all for mindfulness and hippie stuff and all that kind of stuff i'm, I'm all for it right great all for it right now you're definitely right i think you know I can imagine, in, you know, in team sports, quite alpha orientated, and, and there's like, you heard of social, what social proofing is? I've heard of it. I'm ter- I know I've heard of things, but I'm terrible with yeah. definitions of things going. So, so social proofing basically, if you don't know what to do, you look at what everyone else is doing. So like smoking, everyone smoked at one point because that's what everyone did. And you know, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like you're already developing a strong sense of who you're starting to develop a strong sense of who you are and who you want to be. And, you know, when you aren't aware of that, it's a lot easier to follow the pack because that's safe. And, you know, it's it's not safe to go off out of the pack because if you were away from the pack, then you're vulnerable. And if you're vulnerable, you could potentially, you know, your brain works on a survival rate. It's another story, but the, the way that your brain's wired, it's all about survival. And if you're not with the pack, you're not with the tribe, you are vulnerable to being killed, really. And that's kind of how it feels like when you're coming out of being in the pack on your own because you feel very vulnerable and, and that's why a lot of people never really come into who they want to be is because it's very very scary so you know credit to you for having the courage to to decide who you want to keep being you know, no, appreciate that i think we can relate that to like personal training because there's so many pts out there that are just generic personal trainers like the maybe they maybe say body transformation coach in the bio on instagram or whatever everyone's like it's but it's about niching out and once you kind of do find the niche that you're in. Like for me, I'm still kind of, still trying to find out my exact niche, but I'm kind of leaning towards the routine side of things. I've kind of noticed like I'm doing like a 14 day routine chat. I'm trying to, I think teaching people how to be accountable is probably better than, I feel like I'm connecting better than rather than just saying, right, we're gonna drop your body fat. We're gonna build loads of muscle. It's about the routine. It's about like learning how to put things into your life to make it a little bit easier if you get what I, what I mean to kind of get to that yeah. end goal. Would, I'm still obviously learning the process, but... And I would, I would challenge that, Brandon. You know, I, I, I would say, Brandon, sorry. Um, I would say that you are your niche. Mm-hmm. So, you know, quite often we're in this search of, I need to find a niche, I need to find a niche. But you in yourself are a niche. And, 
you know, people buy into people. People more like to buy into your beliefs before they buy into the product. So you having this way of thinking, and this is where a lot of PTs get into PT for the wrong reason. They get in because they're narcissistic, the low self-esteem, and their ego needs to be inflamed. And that's why they end up being poor quality, because it becomes about them rather than about the people. And then there's this big niche on chasing niche. Are you chasing bodybuilders? Are you chasing X, Y, and Z? Yeah, that's good. But probably 3% of people want to get and maintain that as a lifestyle, jacked, ripped, and everything. Whereas 97% of people who go to the gym are just normal people. So if you want to be a successful personal trainer, you need to become desirable to the 97%. And that's not about dropping your standards and, and saying that we shouldn't push them into bodybuilding training because effectively everyone who goes to the gym is bodybuilding, trying to build a body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you, as a player, and this is where I excelled in my career, is I recognized from a very, very young age that I was my niche. My talent was my ability to recognize what other people's talents were. So, and my ability to make people feel great. And that became my selling point was work with me. I will build your self-esteem and me and you together will grow together. You know, by me recognizing the great stuff in them was making me feel good and making me recognize that I had a talent for recognizing what was good in people. And it just went from there. But, you know, we can spend a lot of time focusing on, I don't know what my niche is. You know, I need to be focused on here, here, here. And that prevents us from moving, but recognizing that you and yourself are the niche and people who want to be trained tend to pick people who they like because you know if you like me i can probably influence you really well if you don't like me it's going to be pretty hard for me to influence you so you know i I would i would say to anyone who's wanting to be a successful personal trainer worry less about your niche and recognize more that you are your niche and work out how you as an individual can apply your personality to bring the best out in the person who is potentially needing help from you yeah, nobody likes the big, massive, jacked guy in the gym who's really scary. You don't want to talk to. Him. He just keeps his head down and drinks his pre work. Oh, yeah, nobody likes that guy. They want the approachable, the approachable guy, even if their physique and what they look like isn't as good as someone else's. Like you said, they'll go for the person out, the one who's approachable and makes them feel good. At the end of the day, that's what we're there for to make people feel good, isn't it? Really, totally, man. And you know, recognizing like people like people who are like themselves or like how they want to be. So if you think. Mm. Someone who you really like. You think of someone who you really like. Yeah. Yeah. They're either like you or there's qualities about them which you aspire to be like. Now, yeah. think about someone who you don't like. They're either nothing like you or nothing like how you want to be, right? Yeah. So, and 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 that's just a feeling of common. So, rapport is power and rapport is just a feeling of commonality. So, when it comes to being a personal trainer, if you want to develop success, you either need to be like how people want to be or find what you have in, in, in common. And, and again, these are things that are massively overlooked in personal training, which personal trainers mm-hmm. don't even think about. They're just like, it's going to be about the workout. This is the, the objective. You know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to push it here, 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 without even building rapport. You know, rapport is power. And if you want to be a successful PT, you've got to get as much rapport as possible. Mm-hmm. It is building relationships with the clients. And the ones who you build that relationship with, they're going to stay with you long-term as well, yeah. having them connections. That's, that's what it's about at the end of the day, isn't it? But... Back to the back to the business. So I can't remember where we were up to. So I think we were just talking about the point where you started opening your first facility. We'll go back to that. What was it? What was it like initially taking that step into actually setting up the facility? Was it kind of a risk? Obviously, you talked about the the gym that you were out cutting out the self employed side. Was there a risk financially? Was there a risk in terms of losing clients or anything like that that, that you were kind of managing up? But my- <sighs> 
my confidence and my ability was at such a high. I would, you know, I'd been the, I was the top selling personal trainer in the country for Nuffield Health and this leaderboard. So, you know, I, when I was at Virgin Active, loads of positive feedback. Everyone was like, I was probably the best coach there in regards to popularity. People enjoyed my classes most. I got most feedback. When I went to Nuffield, I was the top selling. So there was, and the same when I was at Exercise for Less, I was the top selling. So these kind of prepped my confidence to make me think, right, okay, out of the three gyms that I've worked at where there's hundreds of, you know, people working there, I'm usually at the top. I felt quite comfortable and confident that if I was to go out on my own, that I could make it work. So my self-esteem was was good in my confidence and my ability to execute. Um, I am quite naturally... Um, well, cup's half full. I usually think about what could happen rather than what what if, you know, or what if that happens. I'm, I usually see things better than they are rather than how they are or worse than they are. So, like, you know, I just had this infant belief. I was like, I'm going to make this work. I Because I just, I knew myself enough that I, and I'd proven to myself that I can start from scratch and build, you know, like moving to Newcastle, I knew no one and I, and I built it within two. I just knew I could do it. I just believed that I could and, and don't get me wrong, there were times where it was hard and like, where I was like, oh God, this is, this is tough. But my belief in my ability to get the job done was stronger than any reason to why it wasn't going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to make it work. Started off, I was, I had my gym, I was just doing one-to-one personal training. And, uh, and then, you know, my, when I did classes, when I did Synergy at Nuffield, like it was the most booked out class in, in gym. Like it was always fully booked. People couldn't even get on, like, people wanted and I was like maybe I should open some like boot camps and stuff um, and then I started it and, and again like really taking time to invest in the people that came they weren't just coming for a workout I was making sure that I knew the name you know I, I was saying to them you know bring a friend and if they sign up you'll get the month for free you know I was really encouraging people to spread the word and then and actually just was like driving a really fast car with no brakes and just went boosh to the point where I couldn't even fit all the people in the gym, like it was mental. Um, but you know, fortunately, I mean, uh, the the way the boot camps worked, so like it was like a membership and stuff. I didn't have the password to take out the money from my PayPal account. Um, otherwise, I probably would have spent a lot of the money just through being young and just like, oh my god, this is great. Yeah. But you know, the the money was being saved one because I knew I needed to. Well, so after a month of being in that gym. I took on the two units next door. Everyone was like, are you mental? You haven't, you haven't even got a gym yet. Like, what are you doing here? There's no clients. Like, that's probably not a good idea. But I knew that, sorry, I think it was two or three months, actually. I knew that I could fill, I knew I could fill it because I'd filled my PT and it's just the same. It's just about actively trying and just getting out there and just, you know, I would get me taxi drivers. I signed up everyone. I bought a dog, right? a super cute dog, little Pomeranian, Chewy, um, because he was a point of conversation. I would go on the beach, people would come over. Uh, I would just use every opportunity. They'd be like, oh my God, he's so cute. i like, yeah, he's the gym dog. Oh, you've got a gym? Oh yeah, you should come down for a complimentary session. You know, like every single chance of interaction that I had was just constantly getting people to come in. I was just hungry to get people in because I had to, because I was. it was through desperation now because I'd just taken on something that was too big. Um, but I just, I knew I could do it because I knew that it's been done before. And if it's been yeah. done before, then, you know, the, whether, 
you know, the difference with the people who have done it, and, and, and even though I haven't done it yet, you know, the difference is they thought they could. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just about thinking you can. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. And, you know, it takes just as much energy to focus on what could be them rather than what, you know, might not work and stuff. And I just refuse to adopt that mindset because I know it will not serve me purpose. Mm-hmm. Does your confidence, did your confidence or has your confidence ever been knocked by something or has there been a time that's been like, whoa, this is this is getting a bit too much? Has there ever been that point at all? In personal training? In personal training, in with the gym or in anything like that, yeah. Uh, in, in life in general, massively, really low self-esteem, really low confidence in the areas that I'm not strong in. So reading mm-hmm. and writing and my academic, academic um, ability, really low self-esteem. Um, massively driven by, I focused massively on my strengths because we all focus on our strengths, it makes us feel good. Yeah. But a lot of my strengths, the byproduct of a lot of my strengths, I've got a lot of positive feedback from because a lot of my strengths were about me making people feel good. So it made people, if I'm making you feel good, you're probably going to want to say, God, I love spending time with you. Oh, wow, you're doing amazing in this. So I was lucky in the sense of one of my talents was recognizing what's great about people. You know, and I'm not shy to say it. Like, I'm, it, it makes me feel good letting you know that I'm aware of how fantastic you are. And it makes you feel good knowing that I'm aware of how fantastic you know, everyone wins. So I think a lot of the confidence, I was very lucky because I got a lot of positive feedback. So that kind of drove, drove my confidence to get higher and higher. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I have some days where I'm like, you know, I. I so, for example, right now, we've got loads of really loyal members. God, man, like, they've supported us. They've just, a lot of members are still paying the gym membership, which is just crazy, man, because they want the gym to still be there for when we open back, and that's just the most heartwarming thing ever. And, but we've had a lot of cancellations as, as well, and, and I, I totally understand that. When I take myself out of it, you know, they're paying something that they're not, you know, having access to and stuff, and I, I totally get why they cancel. But, you know, I can't help but feel an element of rejection every time it happens, you know? So when I get a couple of cancellations at a point, it does not the confidence and I'm like, Oh my God, you know, it's all going to crumble down and I have a catastrophize where I see the worst possible outcome, but I have a strategy of how to stay away from that. So I call it the five minute lull. So for five minutes, as soon as I notice that I'm going into that, that mindset of, Oh my God, everyone hates, hates me, everyone, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, I'm like, right, okay, for five minutes, I can be this way. But as soon as that five minutes is up, I need to take a step back and then say, okay, right, what's the reality? Am I seeing things for how they are or worse than they are? And by having the, the five-minute lull of allowing myself to be like, oh, I feel heard, I've got it all out, but then I have to start focusing on how I can solve the situation, problem solving, basically, mm-hmm. um, rationalizing. And, then, and that prevents me from going down a road of not having confidence. But again, confidence comes from taking action and, you know, not in an arrogant way, but I've taken a lot of action. Like I've worked mm-hmm. hard and I might not be the smartest, but I'm one of the, probably the most hardworking people. Like I'll, I'll just grind. Man. I love the grind. But yeah. that led to me feeling confident because there's been a lot of things that I've started and finished. And I really think self-esteem is massively impacted on finishing what you start. You know, like any area where you don't really feel that confident, probably where you've not seen it through. And mm-hmm. fortunately for myself, before I've moved on in my career, 
I've finished what I've started. And I think that has set me up for feeling confident and having a strong sense of belief in myself to be able to take action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's in terms of taking action, it's so easy when you're, you're motivated and it's that initial phase is to start something and then it's about seeing it out. Not a lot of people, people maybe start something, they never see it out because they're the difficult bits because you're not feeling as motivated. It's getting to the end and you've got to put the hours in when you're not feeling like it. But once you achieve that thing like yourself, once you get to that end goal, you're like, you know what, I can do this. Like I've done it once, now I'm going to keep on doing it. And when you bring, bring back to the point about when you're feeling down, you give yourself that five minutes, too many people probably try and block the the emotions out like when you're feeling down let yourself feel the cheaty for five minutes like yeah. five minutes isn't going to be end of the world get all them emotions out and then be like right i've got that out of the way all my emotions are there rather than trying to like just hide it away and then down the line that's just going to keep eating up on you so definitely do that how many times to block things out yeah time frame on and how long you prepared to be down for is key because if mm -hmm. you don't have a time frame it could last an hour a day days weeks yeah it's really important that you catch yourself but you know, I fell, fell into the victim mindset multiple times. And I think that's something when you learn about the drama triangle, I don't know if you've heard about that, but there's a victim, mm -hmm. rescuer, and persecutor. It's another story. But learning about that's very, very important because a lot of us play victim a lot and don't realize it. There's been multiple times where I've been a victim in my own circumstances and I've only seen it through the lens of a victim. And it's taken me a couple of days to recognize that before I've been like, oh shit, I've been self-sabotaging here. And recognizing as well, motivation is bullshit. Like, oh, 100%, all yeah. the time, I'm not motivated, I'm not motivated. Two things, what you say is what you focus on. What you focus on is what you feel. If you say I'm not motivated, your brain's going to tell you all the reasons why you're not motivated. But if you ask yourself the question, how can I get motivated? Suddenly you've got answers. But recognizing that do not rely on motivation. Motivation is an emotion and emotions change every day. Drive. If you've got drive, you can drive through anything, you know? And again, it's about focusing. It's like, I, I play guitar. I love playing guitar, right? People go, how, how do you, like, is it not frustrating, like, learning the songs? Like, they, they're focused so much so on how to be able to play it rather than falling in love with the excitement of what it'll sound like when you do play it. So when I picked up the guitar, I was always so in love with the thought and the fantasy of what it'll be like when I'm on stage in front of a hundred thousand people rocking out to this song that no matter how uncomfortable it was having to learn how to play it those frustrations were massively outweighed by the excitement of of what it would be like when I can and that's been transferred again into business you know if I thought about all the things that I had to do to build the the gym to where it is probably wouldn't want to do it because again mm -hmm. 5 a.m missing social occasions you know, having to deal with rejections, having to deal with moaning, whinging, having the stress of having to make sure that not only you're okay, your members are okay, your staff are okay, making sure that they're thriving. And they're, like, there's so many things that go into it. But if you fall in love with what it could be, then all that stuff, you don't, you know. It's like what you said, it's it's falling in love with that, that destination, having that drive for that destination, then falling in love with the process along the way. There are too many things. If you get obsessed with that destination, if you enjoy the process, like that's a dangerous combination. You are just there's it's endless rather than focusing on, oh tomorrow I've got to get up get up early and oh that workout's gonna be painful. And, oh I need a meal prep my food sort of thing or whatever where it is that's just fitness related. Like rather than thinking about that, thinking about that end goal, like you said, even if it's you playing the guitar in front of a hundred thousand people, that like I don't know it might happen one day, but like just imagining kind of what could be, and that's when that. That's something that drive comes from, so focusing on that destination, like you made some good points there. 
about that is definitely definitely important. But we could literally talk for ages about this. We'll have to we might have to do a part two. If if people want to see a part two of this one, we'll have to do it. But we'll wrap up with unless there's anything else you want to add. Did you have a look at the last three questions that I sent you that I ask all my guests? Um, yeah, but I've forgotten them. What were they again? You've forgotten them, right? I don't worry, I'll walk you through them. So first question, three people you'd like to invite round for dinner or go for a coffee with, past or present, so three people. Oh wow. Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, Les Brown. Yeah. I, I would love to be around the table of those three. Oh, actually, wait. Um, ah, oh, God. See, it's going to eat you I, up now, isn't it? I would definitely have Jim Rohn. Definitely. He's Pat. Mm. Um, I would love to have Muhammad Ali. I think he's a real character. I'd love to be around him. Um, I, I don't know, maybe for, for humour. I really like Chris Tucker. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> you know, but I think that would be a really interesting dinner table. But um, yeah. I guess I would probably, with where I am in my life right now, I would probably go my first. Tony Robbins, yeah. Jim Rowan and Les Brown, because I think the stimulation of conversation would be so amazing and I would probably learn a lot from it. Yeah, you'd be there the whole time just like, with your mouth wide yeah. open, just like, oh, <laughs> mind blown. Solid three, solid three. So the next one, three people you'd want to train with. Three people. Well, I've actually, tra I've trained with Dorian Yates already. Um, Have you? Yeah. When was that? Uh, that was back in 2014. So my training principles is hit. I've always done hit, just one set to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was funny when I, when I turned up, uh, he went, what do you want to train? I said, legs. The gym went silent. Everyone was like, ooh. It, like, they thought I was mental. I had already trained that way for, for years, so it wasn't as bad as it wasn't. It was no different really to what I did, but it was great experience being around him. You know, just that the aura of greatness. You know, he's he's amazing. But if I could train with anyone, I'd like to train with you now, Brendan. Has to happen. I'd love to train with Cristiano Ronaldo because I think his work rate is amazing. I would really love to see what that would be like. Um, and I would probably love to do a workout with uh, Mike Tyson. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was waiting for Tyson to get mentioned because he said he was one of your idols. But yeah, the, the Dorian Yates one, I know he's kind of changed quite now because obviously he was really high intense straight. Now he's into like, his yoga and stuff now, isn't he? Yeah. He's went all, like, he's went all hippie like us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> probably enjoy it a bit more. Yoga and vegan and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, solid, solid three. And then the last one, one thing that you'd say to yourself, Five years ago? What I would say to myself five years ago, um, the door of opportunity is always open for those who keep knocking. And, you know, and, and what I mean by that is like, just don't stop knocking. As soon as you stop knocking the doors, they stop opening. And knowing that you don't need to have a plan, everything doesn't need to be, you know, like, it's just about define your destination. Where am I now? Where do I want to be? And how do I get there? And you'll wing it along the way, but you don't have to have everything figured out to take action. You just have to define your destination. And I think if I'd have known that, you know, the, the importance of defining the destination five years ago, then um, I would maybe be a, a little bit further than where I am now. Hey, mate, you're doing well. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, quickly shout out, um, where's the gym base? Where people can get in touch with you about the gym and social medias and all that as well? Um, so uh, the gym's called Maximum Fitness. We, we run one-to-one -one personal training and uh, the best boot camps in the north. Got to try them out for 30 minutes. Uh, we are based in Killingworth in Camperdown Industrial Estate, just two minutes from the Gosworth race course. Um, we are open to all abilities. So no matter how fit, unfit you are, 
doesn't matter. We've got a place for, for everyone in that, in that gym, you know, and if, if having a really good quality workout, having a great laugh and making great connections with people is something that you value, then that's definitely the gym for you. Spot on, mate. I'll leave all the links to the website and stuff in Instagram in the show notes for everybody to, to have a look at. But, mate, absolute pleasure having you on. Some, some great conversations there. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. No worries, mate. Spot on. So thank you very much again if you listened to this full episode. And thanks again, Max, for coming on. What a conversation. Um, Yeah, that's all I really want to say. Really good conversation, really good insight into his mind, how it works, his mindfulness, obviously how he's grown his business, the, the things that he thinks about, the hard work and the drive that he has. So a very, very good episode. Like I said before, all the links to Max's gym, his Instagram, everything will be down below in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, it would mean a lot if you could share it on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, if you're on Twitter, even if you can copy and paste the link for the podcast or send it over to a friend, that would mean the world to me. So again, any shares would be massively appreciated. And shout out to everybody who supported the podcast already. Left us a review on Apple and Spotify. It means a lot. Can't stress it how, how much it means to me. So thank you very much. We'll wrap up this episode. This has been Process. Mm-hmm.